Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a brand new school year, to a brand new church program year. Welcome back, those of you that have been traveling over the summer. Welcome back, those of you who have made new school year resolutions. Welcome back, people married to people who have made new school year resolutions. And welcome to those of you who are with us for the very first time. A lot of people check out a new church at the beginning of a school year, and if that's you today, thank you for your bravery. It takes a lot of courage to walk into a new church. And today we start a brand new series about the church, about the church that Jesus Christ founded 2,000 years ago, and more particularly about this church, Ward Church, started 67 years ago. And if you're brand new to Ward Church, I think this is going to be very helpful for you as you get to know us. And if you're a longtime Ward member, I think this will be a helpful reset at the beginning of a new year. So I want to talk with you this morning about the the, the vision and mission of Ward Church today and over the weeks that are to come. Several years ago, our leaders set out to refresh some of the language around our mission and values. And we used as a template for this, as a process, a book called Church Unique, uh, written by an author, a church consultant, Will Mancini. And the first step in the process is for a church to uh, express its purpose in one statement, 10 words or less. The purpose of a church in 10 words or less. This is a real challenge, especially if you've got some preachers around the table. And the author says in the book, on the one hand, every church in the world shares the same mission, make disciples. That is the mission that Jesus gave to the church, make disciples of all nations. Every church shares that mission. Um, On the other hand, the author says, each church is unique and should express its mission in a way that reflects its unique personality and history and geography and values. And so here's the statement that our team came up with, approved by the elders in 2019. Here's the statement, our purpose, our mission, leading generations to live and love like Jesus. Eight words, ladies and gentlemen, to express the purpose of Ward Church, leading generations to live and love like Jesus. What do you think of this statement? They did a good job. Yeah. And you see the idea of making disciples in here. What is a disciple of Jesus Christ? A disciple of Jesus Christ is someone who lives and loves like Jesus Christ. And we want to lead, we want to help people do that for generations. And so this morning I want to park on three of the words in this statement. Generations live and love. This is a three-part message. Generations live and love. First, generations. As already noted, Ward Church is a historic church, 67 years old in the suburbs with roots that go back almost 200 years in the city of Detroit. 67 years is a long time. Anybody uh, here or in Farmington Hills this morning, 67 years of age? Raise your hand. We have anybody 67? Take a look at these people. Kind of give your perspective, 67 years, uh, have some experience, but still, uh, but still a lot of vitality and life. That's 67 years. In our, in our 67 years, we have had uh, 13 uh, American presidents. Our church was founded by World War II veterans after World War II, and they 
hoped they had fought what would be the, the end of all wars, as was promised in World War I, the war to end all wars. But as a congregation through the years, we sent sons and daughters to the Korean War, the Vietnam War, to the Persian Gulf, to Afghanistan, to Iraq, and to other conflicts around the world. We have buried sons and daughters. We have grieved together. We have prayed together for the peace of the world for generations. We have clung to each other and to our God. And we have celebrated together. We celebrated weddings and we've baptized babies too numerous to count. We've raised kids, we've sent off missionaries, and we have marveled at the sheer goodness of a God who would adopt ordinary wayward people like us into his family and then use us in God's work to redeem and renew the world. What a gracious God, 67 years. Now, of course, we are just one expression of our family of churches. We are, we are known as Ward Church. Our mother church, to use church plain language, was also Ward Church. We're like a junior with a different middle name. Our, our mother church was the Elizabeth W. Ward Memorial Presbyterian Church of Detroit, and then we became Ward Church. But our grandma church, or a great-grandma church, was the Scotch Presbyterian Church of Detroit, founded in 1842. And I was doing some research about our great-grandma church, and uh, there's actually a history book written about this church. The history book was written in 1838. The history book was written in, in uh, sorry, sorry, 1938. Yeah, it's still old though, right? 1842, the church started. In 1938, this history book was written, and, I, and I, I poured it over. But I want to show you what it says in the foreword to this book written in 1938. This is the foreword. Our hope and prayer in 1938 is that the worthy examples set forth in these annals, in this history, may prove to be the inspiration and incentive to the succeeding generations. Who are the succeeding generations? We are. This is our great-grandmother church writing about us. May prove to be the inspiration and incentive to the succeeding generations to take up the torch as it falls from the hands of those who have faithfully borne it thus far and carry it forward to still greater achievements for Christ and his church. Right? This is our purpose, to pass the torch of faith through the generations, to be a, a beacon of light and hope and help for generations, the older generation passing the torch to the younger generation, older passing to younger. And you might wonder, well, uh, which generation are, are you a part of? Are you a part of the older generation or the younger generation? And I'd like everyone to please stand up for a moment where you are in Farmington Hills or here in Northville. Everyone, please stand to your feet. Everyone standing wherever you are. If your body made noise on the way up, or if it took you more than a minute and a half to get to your feet, you might be part of the older generation. Now hold on, everybody standing. Uh, and we know there's not just two generations, older and younger. People who track these kind of things say there are today five generations in the American church. Some demographers would say at War Church we have seven generations. If you start with a 95-year-old who's here this morning, and go down to the baby in the nursery, we have five or seven generations here. And no matter what generation uh, you're a part of, uh, know that you, most everybody standing, you are both the, an older and a younger generation to somebody. Most everybody standing, you are both an older 
and a younger generation to somebody. So whatever generation you're a part of, let's read these words from the Psalms together. Wherever you are, whatever generation you're a part of, let's read these together aloud. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Sometimes this value of generations gets misinterpreted, and we think, well, if there are five generations, then uh, the, the pie has to be cut equally into five equal slices for each generation. And if some generation gets more than their fair share of the pie, then I'm going to complain or compete with the other generations. And listen, the other generations are not your competitors. They are your co-laborers in our common mission to pass the faith through the generations. That mission belongs to all of us. Who does that mission belong to? All of us. Who does that mission belong to? All of us. Thank you. You may be seated. If your body made noise on the way down. I uh, know. And then we want to love like Jesus. We want to love the way that Jesus loves. There's a natural, logical kind of love that loves lovely things and lovely people. That's logical. But there's another kind of love that doesn't look for value in what it loves. It creates value in what it loves. Like Rosemary's Ragdoll. I love to read the writings of the old uh, Scottish preacher Ian Pitt Watson. And he writes about his daughter Rosemary. And this is what he says. He says, when Rosemary, my youngest child, was three years old, she was given a little rag doll, which quickly became an inseparable companion. She had other toys that were intrinsically far more valuable, but none that she loved like she loved the rag doll. Soon the rag doll became more and more rag and less and less doll. It also became more and more dirty. If you tried to clean the rag doll, it became more ragged still. If you didn't try to clean the rag doll, it became dirtier still. The sensible thing to do was to trash the rag doll. But that was unthinkable for anyone who loved my child. If you loved Rosemary, you loved the rag doll. It was all part of the same package. When I first read that story, it reminded me of a, of a doll that my sister loved when we were children. And I remember the turmoil that was created on a family vacation when it was discovered that she had left this doll in the motel room back in the Wisconsin Dells, which we had left more than an hour ago. And my father turned around our blue Chevy station wagon and drove back an hour and a half to the Dells to retrieve this doll. Now, on the same family vacation, I had left at least one of my toys in every motel room between Wyoming and, and Michigan, and never once did we go back for a single one of my toys. <laughs> and the reason for this is very simple. My parents loved my bratty sister more than they loved me. Now, the reason for this is she loved this doll, and her love made that doll valuable. I had no such love for any of my things. The Bible says this in the passage that was read earlier today. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Love me, love my ragdolls, says God. Jesus loved the people that God loves. He loved indiscriminately. 
He loved sacrificially. And if we're going to love the way that Jesus loved, we will recognize that every person we have ever locked eyes with is someone that God made, that God loves, and for whom God in Christ died. Everybody is valuable to God, and therefore everybody is valuable to us. And more than that, we will model a, 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 a sacrificial love, a costly love, a love that turns the car around, a love that goes back, a love that goes out of its way, a love that costs something, a love that's strong enough even to love our enemies. That's the way Jesus loved to love as Jesus loves is as beautiful as it is costly. Jesus said this elsewhere in the Gospels. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus didn't just say it, he did it. He laid down his life out of love for us. And then he said, you must love others as I have loved you. And I'm not there yet. I want to be. I think I'm getting there with your help. But we want to love as Jesus loved. And then lastly, we want to live like Jesus lived. Now, there's so much that we could say about the way that Jesus lived his extraordinary earthly life. But let me call out just a few things. First of all, intimacy with God. Jesus knew a close intimacy with God. When Jesus talked about God in the first century, he talked about God differently in ways people had not heard before. When Jesus talked about God, it was like he actually knew God. And he called God Father, and he invited us to do the same. Imagine what it would be to walk in an intimate relationship with God and to know God's presence every day and every moment. Don't, don't you want that? Secondly, and how Jesus lived, crystal clear identity and purpose. Jesus knew who he was and what he was about. And imagine a, a church where everybody in it had a clear understanding of their identity, their calling, and their gifting. Imagine the impact that we could have. Don't you want that for yourself and for your children and for your grandchildren and future children? that they would walk with a crystal clear identity and purpose. And the last one we'll mention today is hope for eternity. Jesus was all about life, as you know. He wanted everybody to have abundant life here and now and in the life that is to come. He gave himself to his earthly life in his time and place, and yet he also understood that there's more than just these years on earth. He had an eye toward eternity. Wouldn't you want to walk in that confidence in that assurance now the bad news is you cannot live and love like Jesus in your own strength it is not possible to live and love like Jesus by sheer willpower alone you will fail at this living and loving like Jesus experiment the key is not to try harder but to abide longer the key is not to try harder, but to abide longer. Again, from the teachings of Jesus, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, abide in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, 
you can do nothing. This is such a fabulous metaphor of Jesus. Jesus is a vine, and you and I are branches. And if we remain in, stay connected to, abide in Jesus, then Jesus will flow through us, and we will teem with fruit. The answer is not to try harder, but to abide longer and deeper with Jesus. That's why we gather together here on Sunday mornings. That's why we immerse ourselves in the scriptures. That's why we get together in small groups and Bible studies. These are all different ways that we can abide in Jesus. These are all different ways that we can help each other live and love like Jesus. My thoughts about loving and living like Jesus personally have gone to a new level in recent weeks. A month ago, I received a bad medical report my cancer has returned. Uh, many of you will remember that six years ago, I was diagnosed with advanced stage colon cancer, and I had a couple of surgeries and six months of chemotherapy and a lot of prayer, and my cancer has been in remission. But those of us who live with cancer in remission know that cancer is wily and can come out of remission. And that appears to be my case. I hesitated to say anything this morning because doctors are still trying to determine the extent of the cancer and to formulate a treatment plan. I did have a, a Metaport installed yesterday, and I could begin receiving chemo treatments as early as this week. It's early in the process, and I am at peace. I told God a long time ago that I would do my best, albeit imperfectly, to model before my family and before my congregation what it looks like to live in Christ. And I've done that very imperfectly to model what it looks like to live as a Christian. But I also promised God a long time ago that if he asked me, and when the time came, I would also model before my family and before my congregation what it looks like to die in Christ. People who are in Christ... That was one of Paul's favorite ways to describe it. People who are in Christ, they live differently. And they die differently. They've got strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Now again, I'm getting ahead of myself because I want to go on record here that my plan A is to model before my family and before my congregation what it looks like to beat cancer repeatedly. Yeah. Now, I want to give you an example of what it looks like to kick cancer in the teeth. That's my plan A. Uh, but to the extent that cancer kicks me in the teeth or knocks me around a little, I can know that Jesus knows what it is to suffer. And whatever suffering comes my way, I hope in some measure that I could know Jesus better and maybe even perhaps become more like him. Whatever time God gives me on this earth, five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, could be, I can think of no greater mission to which to give my life than to lead generations to live and love like Jesus. I can't think of any better mission for your life. No mission with greater impact than the mission to which God has called us together. Imagine the impact on our world if we raised up a generation who actually lived and loved the way that Jesus lived and loved. 
not only is it possible, it is the greatest hope for our world. So let's give ourselves to this. Will you pray with me right now? God, thank you for loving us with the kind of love that turns around, a love that sees and sacrifices. And you have called us to love as you love. Our only hope is Jesus. May this year be for us an exercise in abiding. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. May the life and love of Jesus flow through us, and may we produce good fruit. God, we pray against cancer and against all the diseases of this fallen world. We pray for all who suffer and for all who grieve. And I pray that you would calm any anxious thoughts caused by the personal news I have shared today. And pray that you would be our sustainer and redeemer in every season of life. And now, God, we join our voices and our hearts together as we pray as one church the prayer taught us by your Son, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.